0: Hey yo, what's going on, fam? Thank you for locking in again. Today's episode is quite a special one, to be honest. I'm sitting down here with Dave Wan. He's written a bunch of nonfiction books on the topic of sustainable lifestyles. The reason we're here today is because we both share this passion for sustainability and writing. Dave founded Harmony Village, which is a 27-home community in Golden, Colorado. We'll get into that because I want to know the ins and outs of all of that project. Dave, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm super pumped about this one, man.
1: Thanks very much for having me on. I'm looking forward to our discussion.
0: There's a you know a lot of things that I want to touch on today, but I'm going to try to keep it as short and concise as possible because I know your time is gold. So. Let's get right in. I'ma start with one of my favorite quotes of yours, which is, life can sometimes be an exhausting journey into the unknown, but if we were lucky, we travel with the best of friends. Friends are like the family we pick for ourselves, right? I mean, they're extremely important. I've always lived away from my family, so friends play a huge role in my life. And you know, that quote definitely resonated with me. So do you still live in a co-housing? And if so, what is it? And how did you come up with the idea to build this community and this project?
1: Co-housing is maybe the biggest adventure of my life. I was I had a breakup early on in my 20s and I was looking for something to do place to live where I would feel comfortable and um, secure, and I was able to pass along um, my support to others. So I investigated that, and uh, finally, at the age of 45, I got involved with a group employing this European idea, largely uh, Danish, to have a living community where people could work together and pool our energies and feel like we're living full lives rather than a lonely lives or whatever. So I've been uh, living here for 25 years, going on 26 years. I happen to be the person who found a piece of land in Golden, Colorado. And um, I went to the Golden um, uh, Planning Office and I said, uh, what do you think? Can we develop this? And they said, well, yeah, you can, but it's in the flood fringe, which means that it was under threat of possible flooding. And um, so we had to work through that. We moved a whole lot of soil, but we did buy the piece of land and we had a developer on board. And 26 years later, we're living a life where we know each other, we trust each other, we don't have to be each other's best friend, but we, we know that we're going to work some, something out when we have a disagreement. Right. So I looked at it as um, the kind of um, place to live where, geez, I wish you know more people could look into this. And I've actually written a book after moving into co housing called Superbia. And it's about the idea that any neighborhood, anywhere, suburban or urban, could begin to work together as, as neighbors and amplify their own energies. So, yeah, co housing has been a very nice piece of my life. We call it Harmony Village, although it's not always, always harmonious. How could it be? But we, um, we carry on, we do we have the work that needs to be done and really it's the work that often brings us together. We have this project, this community garden that now needs A, B and C. And so let's figure out how to do it, to get together and have some fun with it.
0: You said something super interesting there about gardening and how it brings people together, right? Especially when you're living in a in a space like yours, where it's a co-housing space to bring people together. But not only that, I feel like gardening should be at the heart of most of the things that we do, because not only is it a way of substance, it's also a way where human beings have always had this way to express themselves, to express their creativity. When you're gardening, your creativity is in full flow. Gardening is also super fulfilling. So my question to you is, how important is gardening when you live in a co-housing space like yours?
1: We are known in the US co-housing world, there's about 150 co-housing communities in the US.
0: Only 150 in the whole United States.
1: Yeah, that's right. Of this co-housing brand, there's a lot of intentional communities as well. There's still the remainder of the old uh, hippie kind of commune sort of thing. Ours is not that. We have a lot of open-minded thinkers, but, um, but the idea of gardening, I think you and I are insane. Gardening can meet every single human need. And I look at both gardening and communities as being sort of jackpot uh, need suppliers. It's almost like milk, you know? It, it provides all the needs. I was a gardener uh, well before I moved in here. But the gardening was important enough to me to put the riding aside in the summertime and work in the garden it's about a one acre garden it just makes me for the most part very happy to walk out there and see what's being done and get together with the, with the friends who are who also are crazy about gardening so i i have done it over the years because i can't stop doing it and uh, why should a person have to stop doing what gives them real pleasure like that
0: and healthy food.
1: Well, that's right. It meets not only, as you said, the need for expressivity, creativity, the idea of uh, belonging to something that's bigger than you, namely nature. The garden is a oh, is a microcosm of all of nature. Learn lessons about how life works, including mortality, by being out in that garden in a life and death kind of situation. So it's a big deal to me, and I think um, I'm really interested in the idea of spreading the word that. Gardening can be hugely satisfying and that work shouldn't be looked at as something that we always want to avoid. It depends on what kind of work.
0: Gardening can help us sustain ourselves in a more sustainable way. So how can sustainably designed neighborhoods and gardens and co-houses fight climate change and directly meet human needs, in your opinion?
1: Well, when you look at getting food from the most local source of all, essentially your backyard or front yard, then you're not, you're not having to keep that food semi-fresh on, on its way to you. It's already, you go out and pick it and it's fresh, you know? And right. that experience, I think the larger picture is kind of a fuzzy picture in a way. It's that if gardening makes us feel alive, then we can bring our full self to the pursuit of sustainability. We can live in a place where our friends are already there, where our food, some of our food is already there, can reduce transportation that way. Yep. Um, but the, the bigger picture, like I said, is can we become healthy and whole so that we see the deficiencies in this civilization that is frankly on the decline. And that happens all the time. Right. Civilizations come and go and right. ours is getting ready for a reset. Oh, and yeah. So what we're going to be interested in, in pursuing a a sustainable way of life, is to realize this way isn't working, so what do we have that makes us come alive? And like I said, both neighborhoods and gardens do that. And I think the idea that we assume in this current civilization that we've already met our needs, so let's go along and get our wants now. Let's get every little thing we want. And the, the sad truth of it is, and it's quite obvious to many of us, that we haven't met our needs in the u.s we are at the top of the list in terms of pollution in terms of uh, health we spend the most for health but uh, have the worst results or not the worst but very bad results right we have corruption in our government we're not meeting the needs that make us feel like we want to jump out of bed in the morning especially with some of these global things going on right now so how do we keep our own personal fires burning we uh, stand by our convictions and our, and have a sense of integrity that maybe we are the equivalent of the monks in the Middle Ages, the, the Dark Ages, uh-huh, yeah. who are keeping the flame alive. Yeah. And yeah. we're so convinced that there can be a joyful way of of you know, living in this world and, and life can be very much of a celebration that yeah. we're going to hang in there and we're going to create this new civilization that's needed. I have a few other things to say, but do you have a comment on that?
0: Go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Well, this new civilization, I have a shorthand way of, of talking about how the, making the change seem achievable. And that is boiling down the 12-step program for people who are addicted or alcoholics or whatever. My three-step program is acknowledge that you have a problem. And we have a, a global problem. It's big, but it's not insurmountable. We can acknowledge that we have a problem. We can work together with other people to figure out how to do this together, and uh, have enough of a consensus so we move forward as we do with Coal Housing. And then thirdly, and most importantly in my mind, we recognize the idea that we can change our identity. We can change our personal identity, we can change the identity and the purpose of the whole way that um, the human civilization does business and how meets per- its needs.
0: How would that work?
1: I think it's the idea of um, showing role models There are people who are already doing this. One of my favorite little quotes is, um, those who uh, say that something can't be done should get out of the way of those who are already doing it. I'm not saying that we bring a crankiness to this, but what I am saying is, we need to uh, keep saying quietly and forcefully that yes, we are changing, realize we have a problem, And how do we then begin to say, I'm, I'm riding the bus to work now. This isn't so bad. I'm, I'm car sharing because gas is so expensive. Right. So uh, incrementally, we begin to see that we are, the Western civilization is a highly privileged and entitled civilization. We got to get over that. Yeah. So in the book, uh, Tickling the Bears, which was my first novel, I portrayed characters who are just down to earth. They're supporting each other. They're one of the, uh, the main characters in the book is uh, diagnosed as having a, a virus, not COVID. This I-X book started coming together before COVID. Uh, but he has a virus that could be life-threatening. And he finds the, the familial support and the friends and um, uh, you know neighbor support to help him pull through that. He is promoting enrichment of culture and nature by being a futurist. He's a, a professor at Denver University and is some um, very much proposing that we reach into the future with a time capsule, with letters from Barack Obama or, you know, letters from Meryl Streep or whoever, saying, here's the way we're feeling in the present. And it feels kind of lonely. And we are reaching out to you in hopes that you'll realize that we're starting to take the first steps. And we're starting to realize that our technology needs to be based on nature. If we ask the simple question then, how does the bee make honey without harming the flower? That's the kind of manufacturing we need. The kind of transportation we need is to already be where we want to go. (laughs) You know, live in in, uh, cities where all your needs are met.
0: If you look at animals, if you look at the animal kingdom, it's been here before us and it will be here after us. Everyone knows what he's got to do to keep everything in harmony and peace and balance. And we're the only animals who don't do that. We pollute, we overconsume, we overproduce.
1: I agree. And I I really think that uh, nature needs humans that are either a whole lot smarter or maybe just a little bit dumber because we've gotten into this place where we We think we have it perfectly figured out and look at all these technologies and so forth, but really we're peering back to the beginning of the universe with our amazing telescopes, but we can't take care of our homes. And if there's a word that actually is almost sacred, that's yet in our ordinary lives, it's home. The idea of being home is how we're gonna build a sustainable world. If we're always looking somewhere else, if we're spending seven hours a day on screens of various descriptions, and detaching ourselves from the nature that's eroding then we'd miss the boat and you know not only will our civilization fall but humans will decline and become chronically ill and so forth so now is the time when we need to step up and clean up together and that you ask how are we going to do this i think the answer is at its base instinctual to the effect that if i'm feeling shame and ashamed of not only my own actions but the actions of those around me. If I'm feeling ashamed, think how good it's going to be to convert that to a sense of pride. Right. You know, how do I take these emotions that are how we make change and exchange them for something that actually uh, is going to make us feel great? So, how do we then convince each other it's worth the risk? It's worth the risk to look different, to be different, to try something new and tell your friends about it. So, that's how it's going to change. It's you and me talking and you sharing it with others and me sharing it with others and realizing that we're going to change or we're going to be changed, one of the two. We can either be actively participatory in this change or we could just get swallowed up by it. And I think we can do it by saying these same messages over and over, telling a different story over and over again.
0: Beautiful. And writing is also one of the best ways to ignite this change. And one of the best things I've ever read about writers and people who love writing is editing is the actual writing. So I'm switching it up to go back to your writing background. How true is it for you that editing is the actual writing and that it's an extremely important part of writing? And how does one become a writer and what are some prerequisites, let's say, to be good at it?
1: Well, I think it's a lot about your natural abilities. I started my writing career in second grade. When I was in the hospital, I dictated some short stories about how the skunk got his stretch. Of course, it was whipped cream that fell in, whatever. But I realized right way back then, that hey, this is fun. This is what I have a natural inclination to do. Uh, fast forward to uh, going back and getting a master's degree and taking the required test, the SAT test we call the year. And I got a, like a 44 in math, you know, 44 percentile and I got a 98 title in verbal skills. So it was like bingo. You know, you've been wanting to be a writer, so why don't you do it? At that particular event, going in and getting this master's degree enabled me to walk into the uh, placement office and say, I've always wanted to be a writer, and now I have this uh, environmental uh, science degree. You know, do you got anything along those lines? And they said, well, yeah, we had a call from the Environmental Protection Agency and they want somebody to write a uh, magazine articles. So although I had started on uh, even placing things, little articles in newspapers before that, and even starting writing a novel, I, that was my jumping off point. And I spent 10 years learning how to write everything from uh, press releases to uh, documentary scripts. And um, it was just a golden time for me. And it did sort of reassert the idea that that's how you should spend your time along the lines of what you're saying about editing, That's how you should spend your time. But it's not going to be easy. You know, it doesn't have to be easy. And this is what I'm coming back to now in my life, that uh, I've been kind of distracted by the world's static and so forth. And I realized that you have to put in that two hours a day or whatever it's going to be. You got to just, it's got to be a a ritual. It's got to be a discipline. Okay. Because we can surrender to the idea that, oh, well, having the idea is fun too, you know? Someday I'm going to write this. That's why I feel good about uh, spending five years uh, producing this novel, Tickling the Bear, because it was largely about the idea, a lot of people say, uh, someday I'm going to write a novel. And at least, if you at least wrote the damn novel, you know, and you finished it, and you stuck with your convictions on it, that's where the, a lot of the satisfaction comes in. And I think it's the idea that writing can be its own reward. Now, what sort of writing do you do, TK?
0: I try to write fiction. So I do write like short stories, short fiction. Like yourself, I've always had a a personal journal in which I write like almost daily. I write all sorts of articles and posts that I post on my blog as well. Right now, my wife and I actually want to write a book about veganism. I write a little bit of everything, but I try to keep it as full of value as possible. For me, writing is like therapy. It's always felt like that. Like from the moment I was a kid,
1: Yeah, well that sounds like we're on a similar track and um, I think what will give you the greatest satisfaction and and me too I'm going to go on a writing retreat next week and kind of focus on um, not just the whole world of ideas but one or two things and um, I think my next work uh, that I do is going to be about three passions that I've had in my life. One is writing, second is gardening, and third is uh, I'm an amateur musician. I've always played guitar for the last 50 years And I want to write about the idea of loving one's passion and sticking with it. So the important thing is, as you know, is to get started. (laughs) So I might only need to have these ideas and jot them down on little scraps of paper. That's fine. But what I need to do now is get into the flow of it. And I have a comment on something you were talking about with minimalism and my comment about identity. If we, uh, you asked, how how do we make this change uh, towards a different identity? We begin to evaluate the value of the food that we're eating, for example, the house that we're living in, the car that we're driving. Now, I drove an old Volvo, two different Volvos, for 10 or 15 years. And I began to try to explain to people that I really didn't want a new car, but the Volvo's already been manufactured. Right. The Volvo had the station wagon, had ability for me to go camping in the back with a futon in the back, and uh, nobody would want, ever want to steal that Volvo. It had that kind of value. They have this right. value of being rated one of the safest cars. So when I think about the value of a car, I'm thinking, well, it's about, does it work? My identity was gathered from the idea that I was counterculture with it. I saw the value of a beat-up car because I didn't want to have to well, take care of it. You know what I mean? I didn't yeah, want to have mean- to go and get each dent taken out. The same thing, I just wrote a little essay about the value of, of being in nature and being not have, having to have a lot of objects. Let, let's imagine a, a backpacker who was on a, a mountain trail here in Colorado, yep. and she has uh, only the things in her backpack that she really needs, and that can really uh, make her experience the wealth itself. And so I'm, I'm imagining that she's walking through uh, a forest where there's a lot of bird song and you can hear a, a waterfall in the distance. What more do you really need than that? She's got a flute in her bag. She's got a very uh, well-designed cooking stove. Maybe she's even got a fishing line with her. She has only the things that she needs, and she's completely enraptured by this experience. She doesn't really need anything else. Yep. And so that's what she wants to do, and she wants to make enough money so she can do this kind of thing. So that's so how I try to promote this minimalism you're talking about. Maybe it's not a large house that I need to show who I am, Maybe it's a small house to show who I am. Maybe what I want is a house that doesn't require a, a large interest payment. You know, is that, is that kind of the way you're thinking?
0: This is what it is.
1: Okay, I got, you. have a sense of pride that uh. you're following your own convictions. That's what you want to tell the world about, and you, you're not going to make a, a big deal about your house, you know? You're not going to try to say, I'm going on some fancy vacation. You're following through on what you believe, and that's how we're going to change the world when the world begins to realize as a collective that capitalism was a good idea, but as practice, it, it can't work because it's going to continue extracting until everything's gone. Exactly. Uh, so I think the way we begin to get a handle on this is to show each other that we're going to stick to a life that makes us happy. Again and again, it's the North countries that Denmark and Sweden and so forth, Finland, come in as the happiest countries. And they are downplaying consumption. They're trying to say that everyone should essentially be able to have the same amount of happiness because... um,
0: There is enough for everyone. So we should go back to the basics and try to make sure everyone is happy with what they have. There's going to be different steps that each and every one of us has to climb. And then at some point, when you reach the highest step, then that's when you can reflect on everything that you've been on. But those steps are particular to each and every one of us. So I, for one, don't want to climb the step that says have a mansion. I'm at a step where I'm extremely satisfied with what I have. And I got to a point where having material things doesn't make sense anymore to me. What makes sense is multiplying the experiences, inspiring as many people as I can along the way and showing people that you don't need to consume to be. What you consume doesn't make you who you are.
1: That's right. And, uh, you know, that popped up in my, when I was about your age, you know, I was a hippie, you know, and this whole idea of anti-commercial counterculture stuff came up as a very strong and very resounding idea. And then it sort of, we drifted away from it to a certain degree. And yet it keeps coming up that let's look at what's actually making us feel fulfilled. I have um, people who volunteer in the garden, and uh, typically they're in their 20s and 30s. And many of them are looking for something to pursue. They want to know what is their path. And several of them live in bands and trailers and so forth. And many of them are saying, I don't know how to go forward with this idea that I'm going to need some money, you know? And what I try to do as the old old timer is say, according to uh, Japanese philosophy, there's something called Ikigai. And Ikigai is um, do something that makes the time just disappear. Do something that sweeps you away and that you love secondly do something that you already have the, the orientation and the uh, sort of innate skills to do what do i love what am i good at doing and then thirdly underscore that with what's useful for me to be doing and there you go just take those three things and run with them yeah and it sounds like you're doing that my son lived in a sprinter van for a couple of years and uh, he is a mountain and skiing guide, climbing and skiing guide, and he loves it and uh, like me i think he just realizes. Why go look for something else when I can do what I love? And he makes videos about it and he's found what he needs to do. I'm a little concerned in a physical sense that how long can he keep doing it? But the idea is, you and I are in sync on this idea that let's home in on what we want to do and never mind what the world thinks about it. Maybe we can have our place in um, convincing the world to, you know, think a little bit outside the box. We all need to think outside the box because this box is cluttered with
0: junk. Oh yeah, it is. What does success mean for you? So we basically just touched on that a little bit, but what does it mean for you and how a part-time job or a small well-designed house could actually provide greater value than a big house and a full-time job? And how do you make sense of all of that? Because. It was like the world and capitalism has made us believe for the longest time that you know we need a big house, big car, a full-time job, be busy all the time and do things all the time and make time pass as fast as possible, as if we were running away from something. But then there are people like you and I who realize that that's not what life is all about, right? Success doesn't necessarily mean having a big house or a mansion or a hundred cars. It can mean different things to different people. So what does it mean for you and how can people feel successful and happy without necessarily having to pursue what society has been telling us for the past hundred years?
1: Yeah, and when you said how do you define success, that's been kind of a key phrase for me. Successfully what? We're successful at playing the wrong game. In the book *Simple Prosperity*, which is, I think, my best book, I really uh, searched that whole thing. And I provided seventeen forms of wealth that are non-monetary, and in there somewhere, in one of the chapters, is a little note that I wrote to my mother. It said, "Dear Mom, you and I were having kind of a, a little debate, or even a kind of a shouting match over the idea that you don't perceive me as being successful." And I mentioned to her that we have a different way of defining that because you're of a generation that. Uh, Got through the depression, got through Second World War, and you have the feeling you got to grab it. You got to grab this and run with it. And so I said, "So, Mom, I wanted to reassure you that if we're talking about success being having a sense of adventure, doing some travel. Well, I've been doing that. Recently, I went to Japan, you know, to give a presentation about the book Affluenza." Uh, I'm doing the traveling. It looks different than what you're used to. Uh, I have a house that I'm living in now with a wonderful neighborhood. I have friends. I began to try to prove to her, even though I, it didn't feel right, that I was successful, but in my own way. At the time, I have a longtime girlfriend who meets that need for intimacy and companionship. And everything that she would say would be the hallmark of success, I haven't but in a different way than it looks to you. So that's a big picture of what I'm trying to do with my career, that it's gonna look different. That doesn't mean that it's not valuable. In fact, I would argue that it's even more valuable because we make time for life. We make time for health. We make time for restoring nature, which makes us feel alive. You know this perfectly well, and really everybody at the gut level does know this, but they don't know how to get there. And the way you get there in many cases, is to jump out of the box and take a risk, take a chance. And that's what I did with this, uh, going uh, into the world of freelance writing. I got the, had a contract for a book called Life Influenza, and it had already been the PBS uh, TV documentary produced by a friend of mine and we wrote the book version of it. And I didn't know if it was gonna work to be a freelance writer, but I jumped. Wow. So sometimes jumping feels pretty adventuresome. And so, I would encourage people to do something different, look differently, shave your head if you want, you know, whatever it's gonna be to say, thank you, I'm living my life the way I want and um, I feel successful. And yet I don't feel like I'm better than you, I just feel like I'm my best, I'm the best that I can be.
0: One of my favorite books is actually Jump by Steve Harvey. And it talks about what you just said. Jumping and going at life fearlessly and doing things. That's how you discover your best self, as you said. Otherwise, you're just going to live in a comfort zone for years and then you will realize it at some point. And if you realize it too late, then you're going to regret your whole entire life. That's right. You have time win things that weren't meant for you. And that were basically put on you by society. Um, (laughs) People like your parents, other people. like your friends, like your peers. For me, that's more detrimental than trying new things, jumping into new things, and failing. Because failure is part of life. All of us fail at some point, but what comes from that failure is what makes it necessary.
1: It creates a lot of stress not to jump forward with what you think you should do. I wanted to mention that in this novel, Tickling the Bear, the major theme of the book is let's overcome fear and hesitation. Now, this is a very fearful world we're living in right now. And with good reason, we're feeling like maybe we just need to hunker down and and hesitate. But the title Tickling the Bear came from a recurring dream that I had when I was about the age of three or four. I had this dream where the bear was coming towards the house. And I was looking out the window in the dream. The bear was coming in the house and there wasn't anything I could do about it, except wake up in a cold sweat and fearfully. Yeah. And then sometime around the age of 26 or 27, I was having that same dream, and yet I was able to be present in that dream. It's a lucid dream, they call it. And I said, wait a minute, I am so sick of that damn bear. I'm going to try something kind of nutty. I'm going to try tickling the bear and seeing what happens there, because I don't have anything to lose. The bear keeps coming back anyway. I'm going to tickle the bear. And he kind of, she said, oh, well, I'm sorry. I, I guess I forgot my manners, you know. And then he kind of just bumbled out of my dream forever. I've never had that dream again. Wow. And I think that's partly about the stepping forward into your full self and realizing you're going to, like you said, you're going to make some mistakes, but you're not going to let fear dominate your life. So that was my point of empowerment. I began to see that I, I have my own life that I want to create. And I don't want to be created by these others.
0: Absolutely, man. That's beautiful. One last question before I let you go. And there are so many things that I actually want to talk to you about, but I think our conversation deserves another episode maybe where we can touch on. There's so many things that you've written about, that you thought about, and that you're trying to express through the world, like what is simple prosperity? We can talk about affluenza in your book the anthropology of food you've written so many things there are so many topics that are of interest to me i feel like we need maybe a couple of more episodes to cover all of that but before i let you go i have to ask you about sustainability in the modern world because that's where we started this episode i want to bring it full circle and you wrote something that says how a sustainable lifestyle generates more than a million dollars of value Value is not something that's understood by most people, I reckon, but you wrote something about that. Can you explain what that means and how you perceive value and how we can help people perceive value in a different way?
1: Yes, absolutely. And I'm actually, that, that uh, piece, How to Save a Million Dollars Living in a Sustainable Life, I'm sort of rewriting that because I think it's more compelling to certain people. You know, okay, well, money, okay, yeah, <laughs> how yeah, can I save yeah, money? Yeah. And it, it's um, a collection of things that have to do with health, that have to do with living uh, mindfully. If, in fact, in my house, every morning I open the blinds and let the sun in now when it gets to be too hot i put the blinds back down and living in a slightly darkish place but it's it's not the heat of summer and so living mindfully and, and operating my house we don't even have air conditioning at a place that can get to be quite hot we have one of these little standalone uh, evaporative coolers that works pretty well in colorado but the fact is you have to fill that cooler up with water every day so it evaporates and cools the place so i mean at the very basic level it's it's being willing to operate your your life more efficiently turn the lights off that's we all know that stuff now what about the idea that if i begin to say i believe in um, in green energy and i'm going to start just 50 bucks 75 bucks a month i'm going to invest in green stocks and i'm going to put that money aside and that's going to start growing and i am going to to think about something on a parallel track maybe my family doesn't need two cars maybe if we cut down to having one car and then we invested that money in these green stocks. And then over the years, that that all by itself, that would grow to be a million dollars. If I'm buying too much stuff, I'm paying interest on the loan I took out to buy it. It just keeps building and building. Where if I can begin to sensibly say, let's just take that, that car as an example, I'm going to do without a, a car. And it'll, it may mean that I'm you know using Uber or whatever you know more. It could mean that uh, I, I car share with another family. Uh, But the fact is, that's my goal. I'm going to cut back down to one car. And then all the money that I was paying for that second car is not necessary. And I'm going to invest that money. That was the the sort of the strategy of Vicki Robin and Joan Dominguez in a book called Your Money or Your Life.
0: Have you come across that book? I haven't read it. Someone else on the podcast actually recommended it.
1: Yeah, it's a a classic. And that's what that's about. It's how can I mindfully save enough money so I can retire early? okay you know so sustainability whether it's in the in the form of efficiency whether it's in the form of non-materialism whether it's um, supporting because i have sort of more attentiveness to the idea that there's new technologies out there maybe i can write about those maybe i can put solar on my roof as we did you know if i have more time and if i have more self then i'm not going to be going to the doctor as much you know that's going to save me a lot of money it's been pointed out that if I have um, a good diet and I'm not eating much candy, I'm not gonna have the kind of gum disease that typically calls like $10,000 to get over, you know? Right. Right. So it's, it's just all, oh, what are the four or five things that I'm gonna focus on? To save this million dollars and that you know if that's a if that's a goal you can reach it very reasonably by being mindful about it that's kind of the uh, a long-winded way of saying be present and think about where you're wasting money it's true that in, in the u.s um, people uh, tend to go out for half of their meals and that's probably too many can't we learn a few recipes can't we have wow. better food at home yeah so it, it, mindfulness i would uh, kind of Summarize it as being that mindfulness with a goal
0: of saving money. That's exactly how I was going to sum up this whole episode. Because I feel like the common theme of everything that we're talking about from the beginning is mindfulness. Be mindful of how you live, how you consume, what you do, how you treat yourself, how you treat others. The more mindful you are, the more fulfilled you are. And that's basically one of the pillars of co-housing and car sharing and living with other beings in harmony.
1: Well said. I think that's a good summary.
0: Perfect, man. Well, I can't thank you enough for this conversation. I really hope we can do this again.
1: Okay, I think you're going to do it. I have a good sense that you're, you're on the right track for yourself.
0: Thank you, man. Thank you so much. Well, I appreciate that. Where can people find you? Where can people get in touch with you?
1: I like sending people to my website which is davewan.net dot net. They can join my mailing list if they want. I'm trying to be more regular with uh, a monthly uh send out of newsletter. Uh, would-be wisdom, you know, things that I'm learning about from other sources. DaveWan.net, Instagram is uh, DaveWan.author. There are a variety of different ways to get in touch. Um, They can find out further ways of contacting me if they go to my website.
0: And you gotta teach me a little bit more about that gardening, because I'm trying to learn more about what I'm eating and I'm trying to grow stuff so maybe i will shoot you an email or something so you can teach me some basics of gardening because it looks easy but it's a whole art form in my opinion
1: it is i call it performance art we're out there creating something that it's almost like a a sand painting you know the uh, the booty sand paintings where we know it's going to disappear but we're building it anyway
0: (laughs) (laughs) i love that man there you have it folks it's been a great episode with Dave Wan. I thank you guys for tuning in, for listening to us. And you can reach out to him, like you said, on net. Well, thank you so much, man. And I um, really
1: enjoyed it. Thank you. Good work.
0: I'm glad. Thank you so much. Well, I, I hope we can do this again. And um, I hope you guys had a fun time listening to this because it was definitely one of the funnest episodes I've had on this podcast. Bye-bye. Hey, you've reached the end of this clip. Congratulations. Jokes aside, please take a moment to follow, review, or share it with your audience. It literally costs you nothing, but it would mean the world to me. Thank you in advance for your support. I truly appreciate it. And until next time. Peace.